Happy Easter. Okay, I know, I know that Easter Day was last Sunday, but one of the things I love about our Episcopal tradition is that we celebrate Easter for a season, not just a day. This is the second Sunday of Easter Tide. So I will say it again, Happy Easter. There is something I struggle with, though, about celebrating Easter for several weeks. And I'm wondering if you have the same struggle. This year it went something like this. Easter Day itself, I was filled with joy and contentment. I got to be here with so many of you celebrating. And then I spent time with my husband, my baby, and my mom, who'd come up from Florida to help us out during Holy Week. It was a good day. The next day, the office here at the church was closed, so I got more family time. I got to do things like take a long walk in the sunshine, take a nap, which as a new mother is a particular blessing, and you know, all those good sorts of family things. It was also a very good, joy-filled day, a day when it was easy to rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. But as time went on, I was reminded again and again of the bad things in the world. I talked at length with someone I know whose pastor was caught in an affair. This person is on her church's equivalent of a vestry. So we talked about how they're handling it, how the church is dealing with it, the challenges and so on. I also heard the heartbreaking news of someone else, not someone I knew personally, but someone connected to people I know, who had died unexpectedly and very young. And then I learned that a dear family friend was very sick with the coronavirus. Even in the midst of Easter joy, the sorrows, pains, and tragedies of this world began to weigh me down. Even though I know that Jesus has triumphed over sin and death, and hallelujah, thank the Lord for that, I still saw those things at play in the world and I felt burdened by the devastation they bring. Have you ever had that experience? I mean, today is a joyful day, not only because of Easter, but because we celebrate baptisms. But have you ever found your joy on a day like today being stolen by all the bad things of this world, by sin and its consequences? Maybe that's where you are this morning. Perhaps someone has sinned against you and you're devastated. Or perhaps you yourself have sinned and you feel so much shame and disappointment in yourself. Or maybe, maybe you're just weighed down by the brokenness of creation. There is so much disease and sorrow and death. When we encounter the strength and power of sin, it can be overwhelming. Just when we think things are going well, or we are filled with the joy of the Lord, bam, we are blindsided by something sin-related. Whether it's a specific sin we or someone else has committed, our constant temptation to sin, or just the consequences of sin in the world. How can we keep hold of our joy, our Easter baptismal joy, in the midst of all of that? Well, the Apostle John has something to say about it. In fact, in the passage we read today from 1 John, he writes, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So that our joy may be complete. 
That sounds like an answer that we're looking for. How? How does the apostle say that our joy can be complete? When we read the passage, we can understand it in a certain sense as three steps. The first one would be to expect sin. Second, accept grace. And third, experience joy. Let me repeat those one more time. Expect sin, number one. Accept grace, number two. And experience joy, number three. So step one, expect sin. You see, the reality of this world is that sin is inevitable. That's not to say you just throw your hands up and say, well, it's inevitable, so I guess I'll go sin now. No, no, of course not. In our reading, John writes, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's not telling them to recognize the reality of sin because he wants them to give up and keep sinning. Just the opposite. He wants them to stop sinning. So what expect sin means is not that we should be resigned, but that we shouldn't be surprised by the presence of sin in the world. We shouldn't be shocked when we encounter it, whether that sin is in ourselves. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I was starting to fall into covetousness. Or maybe sin in others. I can't believe he did that. Or just sin in the world. Have you watched the news? Another coup. Sin is a fact of life. In fact, it's such a basic part of life that John writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. No one, no one except Jesus, of course, no one can honestly say that they aren't sinful. No one. So expect sin. As you look forward to the future, whether it's this afternoon, next month, or the rest of your life, expect sin. Expect the bad things will happen in the world and in your life. Expect that people around you will sin. Expect that you yourself will sin. And again, this is not saying to resign yourself to it and embrace it. We are called to holiness. But to be practical and recognize that you will encounter sin in yourself and in others and in the world. Which leads us to step number two. Once you've recognized the reality of sin, once you're expecting it, you have to accept grace. Now that sounds all lovely and theological, doesn't it? Accept grace. We could put it on a bumper sticker. But what does it mean? Well, I said earlier that John writes, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And earlier he writes, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, do your best not to sin, but when you do sin, confess that sin to Jesus, and he will represent you to God the Father so that you can be forgiven. How? Well, not because you deserve it, but because he paid the full price of all sin on your behalf. That is what accept grace means. It means to take that sin that we have expected, striven against, and fallen into, and to give it to Jesus. 
But I'd like to take it one step further. Not only do we confess our own sins, which is essential, don't get me wrong, but we also turn to Jesus with the sins of the world. Jesus, this person sinned against me. Help me to forgive them. I'm not very good at forgiving, but you're great at it. Help me to forgive them as you have forgiven me. Jesus, the world is broken and sinful. There is so much suffering, and I am feeling the weight of it. Sin is destroying so much. But I know that you came to restore all of creation, and that when you return, you will bring with you a new heavens and a new earth. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Accept grace is shorthand for taking that sin to Jesus, for remembering his work on the cross and in the resurrection, and leaning on that as the answer to all sin. So step one, expect sin. Step two, accept grace. And now we get to step three, experience joy. John writes, we declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And a little later, he adds, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. One of the words running through there, like a repeated refrain, is fellowship. Because you see, once we expect sin and accept grace, and we lean on Jesus, we're able to experience joy in fellowship, fellowship with each other and fellowship with God. Joy comes through hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, seeing the world as it is, and then trusting in Jesus. Through Jesus, we're able to have fellowship with God. Can there be any purer joy? I mean, isn't that why we celebrate when we have baptisms like today? Because we're welcoming people into fellowship with God. That is what we were made for. And through Jesus, we can have fellowship with each other as well. Because we all know that we're on an equal playing field. We're all just forgiven sinners here. No one is greater than another. And in that fellowship, we can have joy. If I were to ask you all what you had missed most about church during the pandemic, especially when it was just online and we couldn't even gather at all in person, I imagine I get a variety of answers, but I'm willing to bet the two most common answers I would receive would be variations on one, receiving the Eucharist, and two, time spent with other people here at St. George's. Why? Because there is incredible joy in fellowship with God through the Eucharist, and there is incredible joy in fellowship with other believers through church community. This step three, this experiencing joy, it's an active experience. Sometimes you can sit there passively and just receive it, but most of the time it requires some choice. It's a choice to spend time with the Lord. And although things are a little complicated right now, it's a choice to receive the Eucharist and to come to church when you're able to. It's also a choice to spend time with others, even if it has to be socially distanced at the moment. Choose fellowship so that you can experience joy. So how do we hold on to Easter baptismal joy when we are faced with the terrible problem of sin? Three steps. Expect sin, accept grace, and experience joy.
when we do these things, it's not that the world instantly stops having problems. It's not that the ways people have sinned against you suddenly stop hurting, or that you're miraculously cured of ever sinning again. Which, side note, parents of children about to be baptized, I am sorry to tell you, this does not miraculously cure your children of ever sinning either. No, those things still happen. But what happens when we do these things, when we take these three steps, is that we see things in perspective. Sin is great and powerful. Yes, but that shouldn't surprise us. Because if sin weren't great, we wouldn't have needed so great a savior. But we do have a great savior. And he has conquered sin and death forever. The battle is won. We can be forgiven. We can have fellowship with God and with each other. When we face our sin and take it to Jesus, with doubting Thomas, we can joyfully cry out, my Lord and my God. Jesus is greater than all our sin, and in him there is unending joy. Amen.